We're going to remain standing as we come now to the Bible. And uh, we're looking at John chapter 17. This is actually a new series for us in John's Gospel. Uh, I've called it The Prayer of Jesus, Your Assurance, Mission, Unity, and Joy in Christ. And we're going to be looking at John chapter 17 over the next few weeks together. And uh, you'll find it on page 903 in the Church Bibles. If you haven't brought a Bible with you, you perhaps can find one. And if you can't, don't worry, I'm going to read it out for us. Because we're going to be spending some time in John's Gospel together over the next few weeks as a church, I'm actually going to read to us the whole of the chapter 17. And if you find your knees starting to buckle and you want to sit, that's okay. That's fine. Um, But uh, we normally stand for the reading of God's Word. And if you can remain standing to the end, that's fine as well. So John chapter 17, and I'm going to start reading at verse 33 of of chapter 16. And the the reason for that is the title I've given uh, the sermon this morning is The Great Missing Ingredient. So what we have here in this chapter is Jesus has just finished preaching, and now he's going to pray. And for many of us, there is a great missing ingredient between hearing the truth, which Jesus just preached, and experiencing the truth. And how do we do that, and where does it come from? So the great missing ingredient. And I'm going to begin at verse 33 of chapter 16. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, chapter 17, and we're just going to look at verses 1 to 2 this morning, but I'm going to read the whole chapter. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And those are our two verses this morning, but here's the rest of the context. Verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were. And you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours. And yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you. And these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. 
As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, in that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so the world may know that you sent me, and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you love me before the foundation of the world." O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. This is God's word. Amen. For over a hundred years, I suppose, the uh, famous Coca-Cola company has uh, carefully guarded its special secret ingredients that go up to make uh, the taste of Coca-Cola. But in 2011, a uh, radio program claimed to have discovered those secret ingredients. Well... Taste trials were conducted, and the results were not entirely satisfying. One person said, uh, it tastes like weird soda trying to be Coke. Another person said, that should be called definitely not the real thing. There was still a great Missing ingredients. It's easy to feel that about our lives, isn't it? We know what the recipe is. uh, Do good. Do what your parents tell you, at least most of the time. Follow the rules of the church. Conduct yourself for propriety. Believe the things that you're meant to believe. And that is the recipe that we have been handed down. And yet often it can feel out there, not in here. It can seem as if we're missing something. Where is the joy? Where is the sense of mission and purpose? I read about it, I hear about it, but I don't experience that. Perhaps that's you this morning. Well, here we are at the start of Jesus' prayer. One way of summarizing Jesus' prayer is simply the greatest prayer that was ever prayed that comes after the greatest sermon that was ever preached. And as he's praying, he's praying in a public way so it's recorded for us so that we can learn 
from what he is saying. It is not only intercession, it is also instruction. Here we are, the start of Jesus' greatest prayer. And he's showing us in these first two verses this great missing ingredient. The one thing that changes everything. You say, what is that? Here it is. Assurance of eternal life. You can be sure of eternal life when you learn three simple spiritual habits right from the start of this, the greatest prayer that was ever prayed. The first is to learn to tell the time. That's what Jesus is doing at the beginning of this prayer. He looks up to heaven. Uh, Don't get confused by that. Why is he looking up to heaven? We shut our eyes in prayer. But to look up to heaven in those days was just the normal posture for prayer. He's praying. He's indicating he's going to pray, much like we close our eyes to pray. He's looking up to heaven. He prays. Father, again, that's not really the main thrust at the beginning because he's already taught that we are to pray to our heavenly Father and modeled that a number of times as he here is again. But what's distinct here in the beginning of the prayer is Father, the hour, has come he's telling the time now what does he mean by this the hour has come he doesn't mean that it's 11 in the morning or 2 in the afternoon or 3 in the afternoon or something like that he's not telling the time chronographically he's not telling the time in that sense he doesn't mean the hour has come in that sense what does he mean by the hour has come well in John's gospel this phrase has a particular meaning and as John's gospel keeps on building momentum to the end, that phrase, the hour has come, is used with increasing intensity and significance and purpose. All is building up to this moment, Jesus is saying. All that he has taught, all his signs and miracles, all he has done when he raised Lazarus from the dead, a great controversy for those who couldn't stand to see that Jesus had that kind of power. All that he's doing, though, is coming to this Moments to this, as he calls it, hour. But not only is John's gospel leading up to this moment by Jesus using this phrase as John's gospel uses it in increasing intensity and significance as the gospel builds momentum to the end. Not only is he saying that John's gospel is leading up to this. No, the whole of human history. Everything that has taken place. Everything that will take place. Everything that happened in the Old Testament, every story you learnt in the Bible, every teaching you learnt in the Bible, all the parts of the Old Testament that confuse you are understood and explicable by understanding how you tell the time, that everything is leading up to this moment, to this time. Jesus is saying the alarm has gone off. This is the moment. This is the time. This is the hour. This is, if you like, the end game. The hour has come. Now, I find that many Christians, 
lack a sense of assurance and joy and peace and lack all that they could have as Christians, all the inheritance that Jesus here is praying that his people would have, that they would know his love, that they'd be united in him, that they would have his sense of mission and purpose and assurance, all that he's praying for, we lack because we don't tell the time. We think that our assurance of eternity will be more certain if we live better next week than we did last week. If we perform better in the future, we think our assurance of eternal life will be improved thereby. We think there is some dark mystery that we need to unravel and see and understand that's going to take place in the next few days or the next week or and we so we are uncertain when it comes to people we're going to meet this week friends that we need to make uh, new responsibilities we might have children that are leaving home we're, we're uncertain we're blown because we don't know the future we don't know what's going to happen we can't tell the time we're confused by the news and the events and the media and everything that's taking place we don't know the time and Jesus is saying the hour has come Christian, you can be certain of your future when you look back to this moment with security and assurance. Your assurance of eternal life is not based upon your future living performance, but upon the past deathly crucifixion. The hour, the pinnacle moment of all history, the hour has come. We who live on the other side of the cross, every time we gather together as a church, every time we celebrate communion, we're reminding ourselves that no, we we know the future. He's going to return. He's won the victory. Why? Because of telling the time. The hour has come. I want you to enter into that. I want you to be alleviated from the uncertainty and lack of assurance that comes from not knowing how things are going to turn out, not knowing what's going to happen. At that moment, at Jesus' death on the cross, the hour came, everything was done, everything that was necessary was completed. The hour has come. You can have assurance, you can be sure of eternal life by learning these three simple spiritual habits right from the start of the greatest, most profound prayer that was ever prayed. And the first one is to tell the time. The second one is to go for the glory. We say go for gold, go for the top, go for the glory. Don't be mediocre, do your best, go for the glory. But here Jesus is going for the glory in a particular way. He's going for the glory in terms of his own person. Oh, glorify the Son, that the Son might glorify you. What a thing to pray. Who else could pray like this other than God himself? You know, if you're wondering inside, you know, is it really true that Jesus is God? Listen to this prayer. Can you imagine if at the end of the service you heard someone praying about themselves, glorify me? Glorify me. And here Jesus is praying exactly that. Because he is God. Glorify the Son that the Son might glorify you. 
And of course, what that means is it's not about you. You know, many people are insecure in their spiritual journey. They're insecure in their Christian lives because we in our culture have drunk deeply from the doctrine of consumerism. Everything is marketed to us. You know, we figure out, it infects the church everywhere across the Western world. You figure out exactly how to market this piece of religiosity to this demographic. You know, your Gen Y or your Gen Z or your millennial or, your, or whatever it is. And these are market categories that define exactly what you're meant to like. And, and the, the market people put you in a box and then they sell stuff to you. They market stuff to you. We're consumers. That's the predominant idea. We consume. And so we come to church and we think in our minds that we're here to consume. And we use religious words for the same thing. It's like, I want to be fed. But what we're really thinking is in consumeristic ideas. We're thinking, I want to consume. What does this have for me? What, 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 what place do I play? How do I fit in? What am I going to consume? You know, I go to Amazon.com and I want that thing. And I go to this church and I want that thing. And it's all about me. And Jesus here, at the start of this prayer, which is for your assurance, mission, unity, and joy in Christ, has himself at the very center of everything. Because it's not about you. What a relief that is. You know, when, when, we, when we talk in consumeristic terms in, in church circles, what we're really doing is we're robbing each other of the ability to be certain, the ability to be assured. You know, because if it really is about me, if it really is about what I want, then I have no certain basis for anything. You know, it's what I want. Well, what what? What foundation can that be for my eternal security, for my eternal life? What, what, what assurance can I have? I know full well what there is in, our, in my heart as a human made in the image of God, but still fallen, sinful as we are, this hospital for sinners that we're all broken and bleeding. And, and if it's really about us as individuals or generation gaps, we have no, we, we, can, we can't have any assurance. But it's not, says Jesus. It's not, it's really about him. Praise God, he's a good God. And he loves you. And he wants you. And he rejoices over you, his people. And that's how he's glorified. But even more than that, as he's praying that he will be glorified and God will be glorified as he is glorified. He's praying about in context of this particular hour that has come. In other words, the moment when God is most glorified is not at a beach. It is not at a sunset. It is not at a sunrise. It is not at a barbecue at a beach. It is not when I'm feeling well and healthy. It is not when I am feeling happy. God is not most glorified when I am wealthy. God is not most glorified when I'm serving best. God is not most glorified when... Everything is going right for me when I'm healthy and wealthy. God is not most glorified in, in the beautiful surroundings of, of this 
campus or Chicagoland. God is not most glorified in the architecture that we build. God is not most glorified in the friendships that we have. God is not most glorified in us being happy as we pursue happiness. God God is not most glorified in any of those things. And how how much we need to realize that the glory of God in our broken and bleeding world with all the trauma and abuse and sadness that that we have let alone the world has. How we rob ourselves of assurance when we preach the message, when we inculcate the idea that the glory of God is somehow in any place other than the cross of Jesus. That is where he's glorified. When he's beaten, when he's crucified, when he dies and rises again and ascends to to, to the right hand of the Father in triumph and glory and defeat of sin and death and hell. And therefore you can know whatever you have been through, whatever you will go through, whatever sufferings you may face in the future or presently, that the very glory of God himself is most displayed in the cross of Jesus who loves you as he suffers for you and therefore whatever suffering you're going through is not a counter message to your assurance of God's love for you your suffering in the strange and mysterious providence of God is the fulcrum the matrix through which the very glory of Christ is proclaimed as you bear the cross as you follow him Christian You can be sure of eternal life by learning these three simple spiritual habits from the greatest prayer that was ever prayed. First, tell the time. Second, go for the glory. And then third, and lastly, in verse 2, we have receive the gift. Receive the gift. And this in many ways is, I think, the most important of these three. And the reason why I think it's the most important of these three is because it's emphasized verbally in this verse, but also throughout this chapter. Gift. Three times in this verse. Seventeen times throughout this chapter. Seventeen. And then over and over again throughout John's gospel. Gift, gift, gift. One scholar says that what grace is for the Apostle Paul, gift is for John in John's gospel. Gift, gift, gift. And here Jesus is saying that you, that is the Father, has given him authority of eternal over all flesh, authority over all flesh. What Jesus means by that is not simply that he has the power and authority over every person, though that is true. What he means by that is that in the mind of God, it's so profound, in the very heart of who God is, pre-temporal, infinite, the arrangement, if we may say, is that the Son is the one who has the right to grant eternal life. 
As Jesus puts it himself earlier in the gospel, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. It is all through him. So this Christian message that we have is not some hangover from some Middle Eastern tribal deity. This Christian message that we have is not some parochial fashion of the Western world. This message of salvation through Christ is in the very heart and mind of the living God from eternity past to eternity future. When you worship Jesus, you're proclaiming that he has the rights, the authority to give eternal life. Jesus therefore carries on to give eternal life to all whom you have given to him. In other words, emphasize three times in this verse, gift, gift, gift. In other words, it's a gift. (laughs) It's a gift. And the one thing you can do to a gift is to receive it. You cannot earn it. You cannot pay for it. You cannot perform well enough to get it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever should believe in him should have eternal life. It's simply to be received. It's a gift. And your assurance of eternal life, therefore, is something that comes simply as you receive the gift of Jesus who died for you on the cross. Would you do that this morning? Would you receive the gift? It's not about, the question is not, you know, did I do better last week? Am I going to do better next week? Have I lived up to all these different recipe of instructions that I need to keep? The question is, would you simply receive the gift? I'm offering it to you this morning. You can be sure of eternal life. These three simple spiritual habits from the very start of the greatest prayer that's ever prayed, including receive the gift and how it will change not only your relationship with God, but your relationship with other people. You will therefore be on mission, your assurance, mission, unity in Christ. You'll be on mission. You'll be willing to sacrifice for Christ. Why? Because now you know where you're going. He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Now you know that you cannot lose it. And therefore you sacrifice for him. Receive the gift. You do anything for him. It's a gift. Receive the gift. Transforms your mission or transform your relationships with other people. You know, there was a, there was a wife once who had a husband who wrote her a list of all sorts of things that she should do. It was a long list of her responsibilities, and she never kept them all. It was a deep frustration. She never kept that list of responsibilities. The husband passed away, 
and the wife, after a few years gap, got remarried. And her new husband, he just loved her. He just adored her. One day she was doing some cleaning out and she opened a drawer in one of the rooms and she noticed in that drawer was that old list. And as she began to read it down, all those things that she could never do, she realized that now she was doing every single one of them. It's a gift. Receive the gift. You can be sure of eternal life as you learn these three simple spiritual habits that come from the start of the greatest prayer that was ever prayed. First, tell the time. The hour has come. It's something that is done. Go for the glory. It's not about you. It's about him. And therefore, you can be secure because his name, his glory is at stake. Then receive the gift. And when you do, it transforms you because you now know that it's all by gift and you want to live for him. Serve him with such great joy. There was a uh, prisoner, and uh, the time had come for him to be set free from prison, and so he wrote a letter to his family saying that he was about to be released, and in the letter he said he knew he'd done all sorts of terrible things, and so he was pretty sure they, they never wanted to see him again, but on the day he was released, he said he was going to take a bus and the bus would go past his family home and if they ever wanted to see him again, just put a, a yellow, a yellow um, sheet of paper outside one of the windows or something like that. He'd see the yellow and he'd know that he was wanted and he, he'd get off the bus. But if they never wanted to see him again, just don't do anything. And he fully understood and the bus would just keep on going and they'd never see him again. So the day came for his release, and as he got on the bus, he began to tell some of the other people on the bus this story, and they became interested to see what was going to happen. And as the bus turned the corner to his home, they saw out of the window yellow everywhere, covering every tree. I think they painted the, the driveway yellow. You can be sure of eternal life because Jesus made sure for you. Oh, our Father God, we do so thank you for this remarkable gift. And we just bow before you and praise you. We thank you, Lord, that it does glorify you, for you have done it all. And in glorifying you, we find such security that our salvation is ultimately about you and your glory. We thank you for that. We thank you that it is a past event that has been achieved. The hour did come, and you did it. And we pray, therefore, Lord, that we as a church might be the kind of church that's so secure in your Father love for us might live with 
sacrifice and abandon and joy and hope and peace, love for each other as we are your dearly beloved children. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.